Hey, welcome back to the, the Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I'm Chris. And we really like to pour into young adults. Yep. So that's what this podcast is all about. Yes, it is. We do that from a biblical standpoint. So we go through books of the Bible and we talk about how that's relevant. And we love to hear from you. So please reach out to us. We got an email address, yamcastpod at gmail.com. There's these things called social medias. We're on them too. <laughs> it's so funny to say it that way. But yeah, we're there too. Find us, reach out to us. You get a shout out. Might even get a sticker. Until we run out of stickers. Yep. All right. Philemon. So part two of Philemon. 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 As I, I like to call it. I so appreciate that you came up with that. Yeah. Um, Just really good. Well, because... I feel like there's a lot of different ways that people pronounce his name. Correct. So I know you say Philemon, Philemon. Philemon is the typical American way to say it. I've never heard people not pronounce it Philemon, Philemon? until I took Greek, and then Philemon would be one way. Philemon. Philemon. Philly. Philemonion, and that's what. Yep. Correct. It just took on a life of its own. Philemon. I know you. You often, um, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, when you've been saying things, pronouncing things in the Bible one way, and then you actually find out the right way, and you're like, golly, I'm a doof. Well, and totally, I hear you. There is no right way to pronounce these things. Both of these languages are dead, dead. Seriously. Like, if you go to Greece today... Mm -hmm. The Greek that they are speaking today is not the same as the Greek that we're reading from the Bible. So you're saying that the English that I speak today is not the same as the English that the pilgrims said when they came over? Yes. I'm just kidding. No, well, yes. <laughs> Which I know is it's true. I'm absolutely saying that, but I'm... But it's even longer ago. Like if you think about the fact that the Saxon people who attacked England... Mm-hmm. In 1066 AD, a thousand years ago, spoke a slightly different version of English, and that's the English that eventually has become the English that we're today. And then if you go a few hundred years before that, English is a Germanic language. It comes from the Germanic tribes, and it was sort of molded and modeled and changed into Britannica is what it eventually, like, which is a Latin word for Britain. Mm -hmm. like, so they named it that and then English and Britain, all that kind of stuff. If you think about the fact that that language is, is 1,500 to 2,000 years old or more and how much that has changed in that long, now imagine that a language died 2,000 years ago, which both pretty much did. Latin took over most of Greece as far as the Greek language goes. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, you had the Greek Orthodox Church, which spoke Greek. But even that, think of how much dialects change over time. Yeah. Or 2,000 years, things change. And if the languages just died and disappeared from all everything mm -hmm. uh, how does that work so even the Hebrew like the Hebrew that is spoken today in Israel they will tell you this is a offshoot of the Aramaic that survived they created the Hebrew language in like the 1900s early 1900s to bring it back okay. so even what you're pronouncing and reading you think you know how it's pronounced and read but there's no way to know for sure there's a good chance that if you met Paul and talked to Paul he'd be like <laughs> say that again how did you say it even the seminary trained kids might be like, oh, yeah, it's blah, blah, blah. And Paul's like, no, you're wrong. That's not how you, mm. we pronounced it. So so no one knows. One thing, I don't know if 
the podcast listeners have ever picked up on it. If you make a joke about something that Chris knows about, <laughs> he will end up really educating you mm-hmm. on that joke. Uh, <laughs> we need to come it's up with like so a funny. code word. You just like orangutan, and then I'll be like, oh, stop, I'm done. All right, <laughs> no, I'm done. It's, no, it's really fine. My kids say the it's same thing. They're like, Dad, I didn't want to know things, all of that. I just wanted to know this. I'm like, oh, well, then you should have just asked me that instead of. Well, you're on a roll. You seem excited, so. I get excited about a lot of things, but. Uh, all right, so. We're starting the read-through. I don't Philemon. care. No, I don't even care what you have to say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 8 through 16 of Philemon. It's one chapter. It's a short book, short letter. Here we go. Verse 8. And then, then you can talk all you want. <laughs> I'll stop butting in. You are just fine. Yeah, verse 8. Accordingly... This, remember, comes back to verse 1 through 7. So, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, comma. Yes, there's comma, so that continues. So, he just got done before this talking about how refreshed the saints are by Philemon. Yes. Very much setting up, like, this is who you are. This is what type of person I know you to be. And now he begins to tell him he needs to put this into action. I mean, he even is like, I could command you to do what is required. And he's going to explain a little bit later, too, why he's not going to actually command him. But in Christ, I mean, if you say you are a Christian, you have to do these. I mean, I shouldn't say you have to. But, like, then you're not really in Christ if you're doing things that aren't, right, in those moments. Yeah, I like where you're going with that. My pushback would be, I don't know that we are mandated to necessarily do some of the things that Paul's going to ask for here, which is why he's not going to not gonna come, come right out and ask. So, which kind of opens up a can of worms for us that this would be just as good a place as any to start chatting about it very briefly. This letter is really about slavery. It, it, it's just what it's about. Mm-hmm. And many scholars have tried to like dance around the topic and make it, you know, not. the big question is, why does Paul not say, release all of your slaves? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there's no verse in the Bible that says slavery should not happen. There are verses in the Bible that talk about slavery and how to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. So then there were slave owners, especially in the Americas in the 1800s, who were arguing, well, this is a biblical thing. We're trying to keep the Bible alive. And in my opinion, they had completely misunderstood and misregarded what Paul is saying here, or disregarded, I suppose, is the word I'm looking for. Um, So part of what Paul is going to argue for here is, yes, because Christ has, has won the world over and he is king, in a battle he didn't even have to fight. We'll get into this as we go through the letter here. He didn't even have to do anything that he did, but because he did... That then leaves us asking some really difficult questions of ourselves, which I think is what you're, you're saying, mm-hmm. right? There are things that, that we should just assume that because I'm now in Christ, I'm going to respond or act this way versus this way. And that's about all number of things. Mm-hmm. But, but really here it's slavery. So you've got a runaway slave. I've sent him back with this letter. I could ask you, let me read that again. I am bold enough in Christ to command you what is required. 
And the phrase that he's using here is similar to what he's used in other letters. And the boldness here is the idea that I am filled with the Spirit. I know that the Spirit is telling me to do this. So I could tell you in Christ to do blank. That's what you need to do. The fact that he never does it, we're going to get into that this section here, does not mean that slavery is not wrong. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I think people take it as, well, there's no verse that says it's not okay. Uh, you're... I get so frustrated and mad. You're you're a moron. That's the word I'm going to use there. That you're missing exactly what Paul's saying here. So let's watch the rhetorical structure of what Paul's doing and what he's saying to Philemon. And when you start to dig into it a little bit here in the next few verses, you go, oh, whoa, this, this is, is revolutionary. This is countercultural. So, yes. So putting it into action is important. But I, my only thing that I would push back a little bit on what you were saying was, that this is the only way to think about it in Christ. I think he could have said to Onesimus, you are still my slave, but I'm going to change our pattern of, of living. And he could have, that would still maybe fit into what Paul was asking for here to some regard. The fact that I think he doesn't means he really understood what Paul's really getting at. Mm-hmm. So that's the cliffhanger or the little teaser for down the road here. So verse nine. So remember, I, I'm bold enough. I could ask you this in Christ. I could command you to do something. Verse nine, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So when I read this, like Paul understands that he could almost demand it because of him being a follower of Christ, but instead he wants him to make it a choice. Because of his love for Philemon, yes. He's appealing to Philemon. I'm an old man. I'm a prisoner. I have no position of authority. Basically is what he's saying. I could demand it in Christ, but I'm going to, I'm going to show you my hand. I know that I have no way of actually following through on what I'm asking you to do. Seems to be what he's saying. Okay. Verse 10. So I appeal to you for, and look at the wording here, my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Notice he doesn't say there, I appeal to you for your slave. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, an appeal is, is you're making a request. He's not commanding him. And this father, this shows how serious Paul's relationship is with Onesimus as well. Yes. That he would say, He's my child. I'm his father. And not just serious, but spiritual. Mm. So. You start to piece the puzzle together a little bit here. Okay, so last episode we talked a little bit about how Philemon knows Paul somehow. We don't really know how. It, it seems weird because Paul's never been to Colossae. If, if, if Philemon has a church in Colossae in his home, he's a wealthy landowner slash slave owner, how in the world have they never met and he can say these things? So there's a number of commentators that believe when Paul was in Ephesus for a long, long time, Philemon probably traded with Ephesus, and so he ended up in Ephesus, mm. found Christ there, came back, learned that Epaphras had maybe shared the faith in Colossae, or Epaphras started sharing the faith in Colossae, and, and Philemon stood up and said, I believe that. I'm actually, I'm a believer. I met this guy named Paul. And, and Epaphras is like, what? And he's like, yeah, start the church in my house. Let's go. You know, we don't know how this all played out, but what we do know is, is there is something significant about Paul's relationship with Philemon. They know each other. They know each other well. Paul loves him, knows him well. On top of that, Paul then appeals to this relationship that he now has with Onesimus. And to put it this way, Philemon is a spiritual child of Paul. Mm. Onesimus is a spiritual child of Paul. 
Because he will say later to welcome him as a brother. Yes. So that makes sense. You have the same spiritual father. So he's, I'm going to get into this in the deeper dive, but he's leveled the playing field. Mm. Okay. So verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So when I was reading in my Bible, it yeah. said that Onesimus actually means useful. Yes. So this is very interesting how he's using that. So interesting that he was useless before when he was a slave, which technically he would have been very useful as mm-hmm. a slave. But now he is actually useful because he's a follower of Christ. Right? Yeah, that's at least part of what he's getting at. Uh, I love how the the translations usually put this in parentheses. Like it, it, do, it, yeah. it clearly seems like there's a thought process here. Some scholars have even said, like, like I said before, he, Paul's likely not writing this letter. He's likely giving it to a dictator. So it's possible, dictator. <laughs> I, I mean, they're they're dictating. <laughs> No, yeah, but he's not. Yes. But the person's not a dictator. He, no. Paul's dictating to this person, and then that person's copying it down. He's giving it to a dictator. That's just a great idea. <laughs> um, he's like, ah, yeah, I'm in charge. No, uh, this. It's possible that that Paul actually jumps in here and writes this in the margins. Oh, okay, maybe like that's as better. a word play. Onesimus means useful. Formerly, he was useless to you because he ran away or he stole from you or whatever the thing is that, mm, that caused mm-hmm. this 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 thing. Uh, he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to not just you, but to me as well. Since the playing field's already been leveled, now I want to take it a step further. He's useful in a totally different way than he would have been useful before. Man, Paul's kicking it up a notch. Mm-hmm. Like it's getting, it's going to get pretty serious here. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending him my very heart. So yeah, this is quite a big deal um, that he's like sending says, sending my very heart. Yeah. Him and Onesimus must have, yeah, created quite the relationship that he mm-hmm. feels this strongly about him. I mean, yeah, I think this would be like sending your own child, as he already had said, knowing that you have no control how he's going to be received. Mm-hmm. That has to be slightly hard. Well, and just think about it. If your lifestyle, your career path was helping people, being a servant, and you meet a, a spiritual hero in prison named Paul, and you start caring for him, and you start taking care of him, and you're serving him, you come to Christ, you're serving him even more because your heart is in the right place. Mm-hmm. Imagine now one day Paul and Onesimus are working on something, and Onesimus goes, I've been praying about this, but I think the Spirit's leading me to go back home and to make things right. So you think Onesimus was the one that prompted that yes. wanting to return? Yes. Yeah. When we get to verse 18, I, I think that's part of what's happening. Not in this section. It'll be next time. But when I, I'm pretty sure that what happens is Onesimus comes to a conclusion that there's no other way for me to handle this than to go home and make it right. Now, I'm not saying Paul didn't lead Onesimus to that place. And I'm not saying that wasn't Paul's idea ultimately. And Onesimus just woke up to it. Mm-hmm. You and I have both had discipleship experiences like that, right? Where we're we're teaching somebody something with an intention that they come to the conclusion themselves. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I don't know exactly how this all plays out, but I, I, I feel very strongly that based on where idea. the letter's going to go that Onesimus wakes up and goes, I, I need to go home. 
I need to make this right. Mm-hmm. And part of that's just normal. I mean, if I, you know, if I'm working with a guy who's who's been divorced from a, a woman for a while, and we're talking, you know, we're counseling and we're talking through, you know, his walk with Christ, it is very rare that he doesn't wake up at some point and go, I need to make things right with her. Mm. I can't keep going in my spiritual walk without figuring this out. Mm-hmm. So it's just a natural, it, it's going to happen. If you're walking with Jesus, there's going to be a spot where you hit a bump in the road and you realize I am stuck in this spot and I can't get through it without going to make things right. Yeah. Forgiveness and mm-hmm. owning up to things. and Yeah. And it's not even that he, Onesimus doesn't need to forgive Philemon. Probably well, already no, has. Asking. But you're asking for yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. Going and saying, I need to make this right. This In order for my spiritual journey to continue, I need to make this right. So I've had people do this with their parents. I've had people do this with their ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone who they mistreated or abused or something or, uh, you know, a bad situation. And they just realized, they, they suddenly wake up and go, man, I, I have messed this up bad. I need to go fix it. Uh, which is part of the reason why even communion, why Paul says that if there's anything wrong between you, don't just take communion flippantly. Go settle it with the brother or sister Fix it. and then come back. And I think, th- who knows, maybe even they took communion and Onesimus goes, whoa, I mean, I need to go back to Philemon and fix this. There's some really cool possibilities here, but I'll stop. Uh, like I said, I get passionate about this. This, this letter is legit. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some really cool stuff going on. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me. <laughs> just... Stop there and think about what that's saying. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I mean, just again, it's showing how valuable he is to Paul. Like Paul doesn't really even, not that he doesn't want to send him back, but he would have loved to keep him. But he knew that, he had to because this relationship really needed to be mended, as you kind of were talking about, like, to be able to move forward. Paul knew that he could not keep Onesimus. Onesimus belonged, also kind of belonged to someone else, and he needed to fix that. Paul also wants Philemon to do this because, again, because he wants to, not because he feels like he has to. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not just that, but I, it's to stop and think this through. I mean— if you're, if you're uh, Philemon and you're receiving this letter, Paul led you to the Lord, right? And you want Paul to be successful in leading other people to the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just if you start there with that basic argument, you want Paul to be as successful as Paul can possibly be, you would be under the compulsion to do whatever Paul asks you to do. Mm. So if you circle back to verse 8, and Paul says, in Christ, I could command something. Paul's in a position of authority, power, might. Philemon is in a position of power, authority, might. What Paul's doing is starting by saying, this argument shouldn't even be an argument because I am surrendering my power and might. and I'm compelling you by love. I'm appealing to you in love to think this through. And I'm going to give you a chance to make your own decision about it. I outrank you. But in following the the message of my Savior, right, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Mm -hmm. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to lay my life down, so to speak, in front of you and say, this is what I would like you to do. I could have just kept him, but I'm not going to do that. 
I love you enough to give you the chance to make the decision. So I'm putting in your, in your court. That may seem very passive aggressive. Some people might say that today. You know, I've read that in some commentaries. This seems kind of passive aggressive. It's not. It's Paul saying, I'm trying to set an example for you so that you then can set an example for your, your brother in Christ here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's powerful stuff. It's really, really good. Uh, and it, it plays on all number of levels, but we don't really think about this in America very much. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I mean, I do like that he's kind of saying that maybe this is also why he was meant to leave so that he could join God's family and be with us for eternity. He's no longer returning to you. Yeah. As your property, but as like a, yeah, an equal, a fellow brother in Christ, as you were talking about. And in a lot of sense, there's an implication there of he never really was your property to begin with. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you see that? Just the idea that, he would say more than a bond servant. There's an indication there, at least in how I'm reading it, and, I, and this is based on years and years and years of just reflecting on this book. He was always more than a bond servant. But if you choose to only see him as a bond servant, you miss what he really is. And that's true for every human being, right? Mm-hmm. Like if a human owes me money, I have a choice. I can either forgive the debt or I can force that person to work for me to pay that money back. Or I can take the money back somehow by force, mm-hmm. right? And so the, the ancient world's understanding of a bondservant, I have lent this money out to someone, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn this back. You would, especially with a name like Onesimus, it's probably not either his real name or he was named this by the, the slave traders. Mm. Like a name like Onesimus, no one names their kid useful. Like it just, it's cruel. It, you know, in some ways it'd just be cruel. So either this is Onesimus's fake name that Paul's using for Philemon to sort of make it all anonymous. It's possible. I doubt it. Or what's very common in Colossae and some of the cities around here, Ephesus and elsewhere, is they would capture babies for various reasons and then they would grow them up and they'd give them a name that would sell well on the market. Mm. So there's a chance that Onesimus is the name of the boy that was bought by Philemon at one of the slave trading events. And since he bought Onesimus, Onesimus owes him his life. And like I said, slavery here is a little different than what we think of when we think of 1800s America. Uh, the slavery that we often think of is is pretty barbaric mm-hmm. and disgusting, uh, misses the mark on a lot of levels. The, the amount of slave owners that freed their slaves at their death shows you how bad the situation was. And we have stories and, you know, firsthand accounts. We have less firsthand accounts of, of the Roman world, but we have less, we have less firsthand accounts of abuse. It was more just kind of like how things worked. So I think I said in the last podcast, it was more like a mortgage, right? You sold your life away for 30 years and then you got a house out of the deal. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I can live with this. Uh, some of you feel enslaved by your mortgage or your student loan debt. And I, I totally understand that. Similar idea. But if you mistreat that slave, there's no, there's no 
pull on that. You can do whatever you want to do to that person. You don't have to treat them like a human being. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's somewhat similar, but it's totally different in the sense that it's just a different system than what we're used to hearing. And what Paul is making the case here is he's named Onesimus, though he was once useless to you. Something happened that made him useless. He's now even more useful because he's in Christ. But even in that, what Paul's partly saying is he is a human being who is owed more than what you've given him, even as a slave. And, and what Paul seems to be indicating here, and we're gonna, he's going to push pretty hard the next couple of verses when we get to the, that section, like our, our next podcast is kind of like the boom, let's finish it all up. This is, the, this is what Philemon's all about. What he's saying is this is a human being. He's a brother in Christ. He's more than just what you've always thought of him as. I have a request of you. I'm not going to ask it because if I did that, you might just do it out of compulsion to obey me. I'm lowering myself before you and saying, I want you to think about how this plays out. And then I want you to make the decision. So make sense? Yeah. I mean, I guess when I just was reading 15, yeah. when he says no longer, like he's he, like, you're going to have him back forever, which makes me think of eternity. Right. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. I was thinking, and you, I mean, yes, he had that before. But I feel like he's saying that because he is in Christ. Correct. The beloved brother. So I guess I don't see him saying that he also was that already, even though. I got you. Yeah, that that's just the. Even though. We all already are human. You know what I mean? Right. Like we, yeah. We have more value than a slave. Like. Yeah. Being a slave, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, I hear you. And I, so let me, let me think that through. But in the meantime, what I do know that Paul is making the case in all of his letters is that, that the great equalizer has already come. So all of us are on the same playing field. There is no separator. So when you read things like there's no barbarian or Jew, slave mm-hmm. or free, he's saying that in Galatians, he says that in Ephesians, you know, he made the comment in Colossians very quickly He's saying the equalizer has already come. So in that sense, yes, because he's in the Lord, Onesimus, because Onesimus is in the Lord, there's a whole other level to think about him in. But if you think about the implication of what Paul's saying there is even before he was in the Lord, he's, he's a human being who has more value, value. than a bondservant. And Paul doesn't have the ability to say that as boldly in this letter, but you kind of I at least read it in the middle of it all. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't think it's bad exegesis to say that. And that's just, the, you know, the study of God's word. Like, I, I think as you break it down exegetically, he's even kind of making the case, the guy, the guy was more than a bondservant. You just didn't necessarily treat him that way or you didn't see that, which mm-hmm. kind of comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of Colossians, the idea that possibly here Philemon was mistreating Onesimus and therefore, Onesimus felt like he needed to go find an ear to listen to him. Whether it was an intentional move to find Paul in jail or whether he just happened to find Paul in jail. Regardless, some kind of conversation was struck up where Onesimus realized, I was wrong. I missed the whole mark here. Not as a slave, but I maybe even misunderstood what Philemon was doing. And I need to hold him in higher regard than I did before. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm reading between the lines there, but we, we, we don't have any more than what this yeah. is. Like this is listening in to two people in a letter, mm-hmm. but there's a backstory that we don't have access to. And so you just have to start to think without realizing 
or like without pretending that what I'm what I'm creating as a backstory is textual. It's not inspired. I'm not saying that this is exactly how it went, but you, I like to stop and think, why would this be happening? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So many scholars have pointed out what this letter ultimately asked for is for slaves to be free, which should end slavery. But Paul never once has to say, I want you to end slavery altogether. It's, you know what I'm saying? Well, and I mean, as you've mentioned, he doesn't actually ever make the request no because he doesn't want him to feel like he has to he wants him to come to the conclusion on his own mm-hmm. yep okay it's time for the deeper dive so a couple things here um and they're linked together so the, the equalizer idea the great equalizer I mentioned that in Galatians and elsewhere, what Paul says is there are no categories anymore for human beings in the way that we think about them. And so when he says things like there are neither Scythian nor nor barbarian nor Jew, he's making the case that my Jewish brothers and sisters don't need to look down upon anybody who's outside of the mm-hmm. family of God and vice versa. Those who have come to Christ now as barbarians or Scythians or Gentiles, whatever, don't need to look at the Jews with disdain and say, why didn't you tell me about this sooner? That, that, that None of that matters. The categories are all gone. Christ has won the nations back. He's pulled them all in. So the great equalizer being Christ means that human beings have been elevated to a level again that they were supposed to be in the beginning. So us bearing the image of God means that you and I have more value than merely human. We're not mm-hmm. just basic. We're not man or woman. We're not slave or free. We're not you know, there are no economic categories that we need to look at anymore. There are no racial categories that we need to look at anymore. There are no gender categories we need to look at anymore. Like, and that's not to say that everybody just kind of picks and chooses where they go. That's kind of where our culture wants it to go. That's not even what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when I'm doing this podcast with you, you're a good friend of mine. We don't need to think about this as a category of male and female to, to that extent. Mm-hmm. Now we're both proud to be male and female mm-hmm. for various reasons, you know, but it doesn't mean that we have to hold either one of each other in higher regard or higher account. The, the great equalizer has already won the battle and we don't have to worry about that. Now, because the great equalizer has done that, the question then becomes, how did the great equalizer do this? How did Jesus make things right? And, it, and the equalizer here, going back to what I was just saying, Philemon is on the same playing field as Onesimus in Christ's eyes. They both came to Christ under the tutelage or the ministry of Paul. So if, if Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord, which he did, Onesimus is no longer a slave. He is now a, a bondservant of Christ, not a bondservant of Philemon. He's been freed from his obligations just by coming to Christ. He, he's a new creation. He's different. He's not what he once was. Now, does that mean he doesn't work for Philemon still? Of course not. Of course it means he still could work for Philemon. Mm-hmm. But he is a new creation, just like what Paul would argue in other letters. If you are a slave, don't treat your master as if he, with disdain. Understand that your master is really Christ, and so your boss is someone who's made in the image of God as well. They may not be operating that way. They may not be living the way they're supposed to, but you look at them with as if they are made in the image of God. And because they are, you've been brought on to the, you're, it's equalized. We're all fixed. And so in this sense, what Paul's making the argument is Paul, uh, Philemon and Onesimus have both come to Christ because of Paul's ministry. Therefore, they are equal. 
Now, because they're equal, the second part of this deeper dive is why are they equal? Well, the love of Christ, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The love of Christ to love all of humanity so much that he would die for the slave and the free. He would die for the, the Gentile and the, and the Jew. He would Neither die for male, female. Yeah. He died for everybody. And in him dying for everybody, he elevated humanity back to its glorified state that they were supposed to be in the beginning of the story. We now can approach God directly like we were supposed to in the Garden of Eden. And because we can approach God directly, again, there is nothing categorizing us anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm the richest man in the world, if I'm standing next to the poorest man in the world, and we both have come to Christ, we are equals in the eyes of God, who is infinite and beyond us. Because before this, it was primarily the priest that was the only person that could yes. approach God, right? Yep. But then Jesus technically is our priest. And specifically the high priest. Mm-hmm. And what Christ's high priestly duty was, was to draw all of us in as priests mm-hmm. under him. So like when you're reading Hebrews, yeah. I was just thinking about that. the idea is you and I are in a place now where we can just walk across the threshold and get right up next to the throne and ask a question, which is what we're doing when we pray. And it's because of Christ's love for humanity that this happened, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only son, you know, John mm-hmm. three sixteen, and so on. So then it's interesting if we go back through this letter and notice how many times Paul has used the word love, and the word love here is agape love, not other kinds of love. Mm. And ironically, Philemon is actually a, a name out of a different type of love. Phileo. Phileo, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what he says is, because I, I hear of your love, it, you, we talked about this last time, because I hear of the love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints, and... I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. This is talking directly to Philemon, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You understand agape love because you understand what Christ did for you. Philemon, because agape love has leveled the playing field, now, check this out, this is so cool. I want you, verse 9, for love's sake to make a decision here. So because the, le- the field has been leveled, because the, there's, no, you know, there's no standard, there's, there's, everything is, is leveled, because of that, you and I now stand before God, and I want you to appeal then back to that love. Think about what Christ did for you, and I want you to show that love to Onesimus. Which, how do you not free your slave at that point? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or how do you at least not like, look at it differently? You know, Philemon, do you want to still be my servant? I would do whatever you want me to do. Okay, I still want you to be my servant, but you're not a you're not a, a slave anymore. You're a free man. You're working for me because you choose to rather than not. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what we're going to get to, you know, in a recap episode is what happens next is amazing after we get done with this this whole thing. But man, it is it's awesome. And so if you think about that great that 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 playing field, the deeper dive thing leads us into let's get practical, but the idea is do you see the church this way? That it is the great equalizer. It is the, because of what Christ has done for us, there is no playing field that we stand on anymore. I am not better than someone else because I'm a pastor. I am not better than someone else because I'm a, I'm a middle-class white person. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not better than someone else because I'm a, a middle-class white male. Like, those categories shouldn't exist. Not that we don't see our color or understand our culture or understand our background. Of course, all those things matter. They're important. They're great. I love that. But I have no higher ground to stand on than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so it's my job as 
someone who, whether you see me in a position of privilege or not, it's my job to raise other people up and give them the same yeah. category because of the love of Christ and what he's done for me. So what, what Paul's really arguing for here is, if you think about this, the categorization of power is all jumbled and our power structures no longer matter in Christ. So because they no longer matter, we're all on the same playing field. So what Paul's saying is, I'm above you, Philemon, but I'm choosing to put myself below you. Now I want you to do the same thing with Onesimus. And if you think about it, all three of them now are at the same playing field, mm-hmm. which is actually elevated above what even Paul thinks of himself and so on and so forth. So I could go on and on and on for hours, but I'll stop. So let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. So um, let's get practical. This week is let us not always do what is easy. I shouldn't say always. Let us not do what is easy but what is right. So Paul could have taken the easy route and kept Onesimus with him, but he knew that would not be right. Mm -hmm. He knew that Onesimus needed to reconcile what he did. He needed to face his past in order to move forward. And may we take note of that and do the difficult, confront, reconcile, speak up, correct, instead of taking the easy route always. We have a calling to spur others on to love and good works from Hebrews 10.24. And we cannot do that by remaining silent when others aren't quite following Christ as they should or when they maybe are elevating themselves mm-hmm. or whatnot. Now, this is, as we talked about, this is for Christ followers. Um, we do not hold others to this same standard if they have not chosen to follow Christ. We still, though, can point out what is wrong regardless of if they are Christ followers or not. When there's name-calling, judging, shaming, racism, whatever that stuff is, those still can be called out even if they're not a Christ follower because those are just, they are just wrong. But how we might call them out is is going to be different. It might not be, I'm not going to do it from as even Paul is, like right. bringing in Christ. It would just be, you need to treat other people better or whatever it might be. Yeah. But yeah, just t- not taking the easy route but doing what's right. And a lot of that has to do with, yeah, spurring each other on, making them. I mean, because that's even what Paul, I think we talk, well, this is what I believe too, is that Paul is trying to get Onesimus to that conclusion that he needs to fix what he did. Yep. And we should be doing that for other people in our lives too mm-hmm. when we realize, yeah, they, they're missing it right here or whatever. Not always just telling them, but actually like, having them work towards figuring it out on their own. It's mm-hmm. so much better when they figure it out on their own. Yep. And so Onesimus and Philemon are both being called by, by Paul to think through how to do this differently. They're both in Christ, so you watch the way that Paul's handling this with humility and with love. If he's doing this to Christians who should just listen to him because he's Paul, how much more should we then think about the outsider and treat them in such a way that shows them Okay, this is why we believe what we believe. So yes, calling people out. Morality is still morality. Yes. Truth is still truth. All that is still important. We should absolutely stand up for what's right. You know, you can stop someone at a restaurant and say, hey, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't talk like that or if you didn't treat her that way or if you didn't act like this toward him. Like whatever those things are, you know, if I see a really rude person with a waiter or waitress, uh, I have made a comment before. Just seriously, man, like, are you kidding me? You know, um, my wife is a bit more of a justice warrior in that regard than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we, we just, I can't believe it when people aren't treating people correctly. So I can stand up for it. But I also need to expect that their response to me is not going to be as positive mm-hmm. as I'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. 
Because if Christians don't handle those corrections well, I can't imagine that a non-Christian is going to handle it any better. But watching Paul manage this really, really well should also give us pause as to how to work within the, the body of Christ. Yeah. And how we should, again, I think sometimes pastors, and sometimes this is true in some parts of our faith tradition more than maybe how I operate, but some pastors walk around with a big club and just sort of tell you what to do and they expect you just to follow it and they get mad if you don't do it. Paul isn't doing that here. Not at all. And so we pastors maybe should step back a little bit and realize there are better ways to help people see the way of Christ. And part of that is even us giving the example of, I could compel you to do such a thing. I could tell you to stop sleeping with her. I could tell you to stop, uh, you know, treating your children that way. I could, I could tell you to stop acting this way. I want to bring you back to the, to the cross, what Christ did for us. I want you to think about love. And then I want that love to be what guides your decision here. So what's it going to be? Mm-hmm. That's a way better way to handle that so- solution and that issue than stop talking stop talking to your wife that way. Like, that's not helpful. Well, and I think it's also what you talked about of lowering yourself. Yes. I think sometimes when we do the demanding, that's us doing it from above them. Yep. Almost as authority. Whereas if when we lower ourselves, it's more humbly requesting yep. or humbly trying to get them to understand it's being Christ-like. Yeah. Which would be really great if we all did that. Golly, wouldn't it? Council Corner with Erica. So how are you doing? I'm fine, it's Erica. Been a, oh, you weren't asking it's me. Been, I, I mean, I am asking you. It's been a long year, right? Yep. So I know for a lot of us this past year has been crazy and has required a lot from us that we didn't probably even know we would have been able to do. I mean, in the beginning, if they would have said, you're going to quarantine for however long we actually did, we would have all freaked out. Like, I mean, I think it actually was good that it was like two weeks. Oh, wait, wait, two more weeks. Oh, wait, no, so two more weeks. It wasn't helpful a lot of the time because we were like, seriously? But I also think if they would have said, nope, we're quarantining for two and a half months, we would have been like, no, you know, mm-hmm. there would have just been a lot of a lot of pushback. I mean, there was a lot of pushback, anyways. But I even did, I more didn't so, notice, Erica. What? It's been so peaceful. Yeah. Um. So I know that it's been a lot this last year. I mean, I know for me, I actually really liked the quarantine time because it forced me to say no. I could actually rest because no, nothing was expected of me. Nobody was expecting me to be here. Nobody was expecting me to be there. Nobody was expecting me to plan this or to teach. You know, like none of that was happening. So it was actually super freeing because I think I needed that because I had come to a place where I was saying yes to too many things. And that was my fault. I was not managing my time correctly. Um, But I learned a lot during that time. I learned that I need structure. I learned that I need a schedule. I learned that... Um, getting housework and things done during the week is super beneficial so that it's not all done on the weekends and you can actually enjoy your weekend. Like, just lots of things that mm-hmm. I learned work better for my mind. Um, and just, like, my overall state of being. I actually felt like I was the healthiest type of person that I was that the whole time we were in quarantine because it was just – I was able to – yeah, just able to actually be and not – feeling like I had to be pulled in so many different directions. But I just, I learned a lot over that time. And I think um, 
I mean, I, I don't think this will ever happen again in our lifetime. It's not impossible to happen again. I mean, it could. Who knows? But I also think that if it were to happen again, we've learned things so we can do things differently. I think our government would do things a little differently. Like, I think they've learned even. Chris is kind of looking at me with like a, I don't know. About I that. really appreciate your optimism. I, you know what? I do. I, I am kind of a, <laughs> I can be optimistic at times. But I also think that look back over this time. If you really look back over your time and you're like, it was absolutely a train wreck and I learned absolutely nothing. I think you really need to dive in a little yeah. bit more. But, and, and really just see the things that you learned the things that were good and try to really make sure that you're putting those into your life now. So even for me, I'm looking at the future and how, how can I almost structure my days maybe where I am working in the morning and I have my afternoons off so that I can be productive and get things done and not feel like I'm frazzled at the end of the night because I just worked my eight hours and then who wants to do anything after that, you know? Mm-hmm. So do do things differently. Understand yourself and what you need so that in the future, maybe you can be better prepared for when things don't go as planned. And they're not going to go as planned. Things, A lot of things are out of our control. The majority of things are out of our control. Mm-hmm. So learning how to cope with those things is really important. So really just take time to look over this last year and think of what was good, what wasn't, what things would you like to keep in your life, what things... Did you not like that you want to get rid of? Um, because I think there were some really good things that came out of it. Family time, mm-hmm. um, eating meals together, less uh, commitments, especially if you have kids, like just less here, there, and everywhere. So like really think of those things. And if you liked those things and you liked the togetherness and whatnot, then really work to try to implement that. Don't just go right back to the busyness that we had. Because I don't think that really is life-giving to anybody. So that would be my my council corner is don't let this last year just go to waste. But really look at it and see what was good that you would like to continue to ep- implement into your daily life. And what maybe wasn't good that you need to kind of get rid of. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that is looking back before quarantine and seeing maybe what wasn't good. You know, like maybe the overcommitment, maybe the whatever it might be so that the year isn't a complete waste, but that there are things that you can learn to then make your life a little bit richer. Mm-hmm. So, No, that's a good word and a good thing to end this episode on. So I'll talk to y'all soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. Cast.